You're listening to the Study Legal English podcast, the world's first legal English podcast, helping lawyers and law students become fluent in legal English. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Study Legal English podcast. I am your host Louise and again today we're looking at the courts of England and Wales. In the past two episodes, we learnt about the evolution of the court system and actually even in some other episodes, we've talked briefly about the courts. For example, in episode 32, we talked about the court hierarchy in relation to the doctrine of judicial precedent. And episode 33 talked about the courts in relation to equity. Of course, we've sometimes touched upon the European Court of Human Rights and the European Court of Justice as well. Well, today's episode focuses on the courts of England and Wales as we know them today. It's a bit of an overview of the system today. It's part of the English Legal System Module 3 Courts and Tribunals course, which you can find at studylegalenglish.com forward slash podcast underscore courses. So if you're interested in that, head over to the website to find out more information. So let's get started. In England and Wales, our courts are a little bit difficult to classify into clearly defined categories. One thing's for sure, we certainly have a hierarchy because this is important for the administration of justice and also, in order for precedent to operate, we must distinguish between the lower inferior courts and the higher superior courts. But things get a little bit blurry when we try to separate the courts into criminal and civil courts or even into trial and appellate courts. Nevertheless, in this episode, I'll try to give you some idea about which courts do what. So let's cover the clear and easy category first, the actual hierarchy. So firstly, lower or inferior courts, as you'd probably expect, are limited in jurisdiction, for example, by the monetary value of the cases and geographical location. For example, they hear cases at a specific location dealing with a matter in that specified location. They tend to hear cases which are not so complicated and serious and at first instance. Therefore, they cannot make binding precedent. They cannot set a rule which must be followed by other courts. They are also supervised by the High Court, so their decisions may be subject to judicial review. This means that if a party in a court case heard in an inferior court believes that the decision-making process was not followed correctly, the decision can be judicially reviewed by the High Court, who may order the inferior court to remake the decision according to the correct procedure. Judicial review is concerned with the decision-making process and not the content of the decision itself. And so a judge may be ordered to remake the decision and follow the correct procedure. They may well do this and they may well reach the same decision as they had done so previously. So it's the procedure that they're looking at following correctly and not necessarily what the outcome of the case will be. Talking about inferior courts, I have to say it's a 
bit unfair to call them inferior because really they deal with a great number of cases, many of which never get appealed. However, that's the name we give them. An important note for Spanish speakers is magistrado in Spanish is not the equivalent of magistrate in English. We have, of course, heard this word before. A magistrate, if you remember correctly in English, is not a synonym of judge. It is rather a person who hears cases in the magistrate's court, which is an inferior court, the court of first instance, for many criminal cases in England and Wales. And very often these magistrates are not legally trained. They are lay people, but of course still very, very important in the administration of justice. Moving on up the hierarchy, the higher or superior or senior courts, according to section 1, subsection 1 of the Senior Courts Act 1981, These consist of the Court of Appeal, the High Court of Justice and the Crown Court, each having jurisdiction as is conferred on it by or under this or any other Act. This means that superior courts are part of the same court, irrespective of where the case is heard. I'll try to make this a bit clearer. Let's take an example of the Crown Court, one of the superior courts. If a criminal appeal is heard at the Crown Court, sitting at Brighton Magistrates Court, it's a case that is nevertheless heard by the Crown Court, the one and only Crown Court. We're not talking about Brighton's Crown Court, we're talking about the Crown Court which sits in Brighton. The Crown Court is sort of transferring itself to Brighton. Whereas when we refer to magistrates' courts, We refer to the Magistrates' Court of the particular location. For example, Norwich Magistrates' Court is a separate court from Brighton Magistrates' Court, and so on. Additionally, decisions of superior courts are not subject to judicial review. They cannot be judicially reviewed. The judges of the superior courts are just so good at decision-making that they couldn't possibly make a procedural error. Must be all those funny costumes they wear. A little fun fact for you, which you can drop into a conversation to show how intelligent, cultured and up-to-date you are, because I'm sure you all are, uh, is that prior to 2005, the senior courts were actually known as the Supreme Court. Well, hmm, you might be thinking, that's a bit strange. Why is that? Well, because at this time, the highest court in England and Wales was the Appellate Committee of the House of Lords. And yes, that is the same House of Lords that also formed, and still does form, the Upper Chamber of Parliament. Really, you might be thinking, but I thought the UK had the separation of powers between the executive, the legislature and the judiciary. Well, yes, it does now, but this wasn't really the case before. And so the Constitutional Reform Act 2005 created a new highest court of the land and called it the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom. So then we had the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom, aka also known as the highest court of the land, which replaced the House of Lords. But we also had the Supreme Court also known as, aka, all the higher courts. Right, that's confusing. One of the names obviously had to go, and it was the latter which did. 
So now we have the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom, and when we refer to all of the higher courts, we refer to them as the senior courts or the superior courts. Okay, so let's just do a quick recap of the inferior and senior courts before we move on. Inferior courts are courts of first instance. They don't make binding precedent. They tend to deal with less serious or complex cases. They're limited in jurisdiction and subject to review by a senior court. On the other hand, senior courts are mainly appellate courts, although they can be courts of first instance for serious cases. They're also not subject to judicial review and are not limited in jurisdiction. And of course, they can make binding precedent. The next category, which is a little more blurry, is the one where we try to divide the courts into those which hear criminal cases and those which hear civil cases. Just a quick reminder, criminal cases are where the court determines the guilt or innocence of the defendant and if he or she is convicted of a crime, the court issues the appropriate punishment, known as sentencing. Civil courts, on the other hand, try to resolve civil disputes between individuals and at the end of the case, a judge will award appropriate remedies, such as damages, also known as compensation, to the injured party, the person who was harmed. So why is it difficult to put the courts into these categories? Well, it's a bit tricky because in fact many courts, both the inferior and superior courts, have dual jurisdiction and may hear both criminal and civil matters. For example, whilst magistrates' courts primarily deal with criminal law cases, they may on occasion deal with civil law matters. For example, a case involving non-payment of council tax. Council tax is a local tax which is levied on property to pay for local services. And if you don't pay it, you get in trouble. And although it's not a crime, it's still dealt with by the magistrate's court. On the other hand, the High Court of Justice is primarily a civil court, and yet it also has very limited criminal law jurisdiction. And then we get to the Court of Appeal and Supreme Court. Well, they both hear appeals on criminal and civil law matters. Moving on, what about dividing the courts into trial and appellate courts? Just a reminder that a trial court or a court of trial is a court of first instance or a court of original jurisdiction, and all cases start here. The role of a trial court is to hear the facts of a case and make a decision based on these facts. Sometimes these decisions are challenged by one of the parties and appealed in a higher court, and this would be known as an appellate court. The appellate courts hear cases on points of law and are not concerned with facts. But can we distinguish between these two? Can we categorise the courts of England and Wales explicitly into these two categories? The answer is sort of. In England and Wales, we can categorise the inferior courts, the county court and magistrates courts, as only trial courts. And we can categorise the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court as appellate courts. But the High Court of Justice and the Crown Court hear both trial and appellate cases. 
So I imagine you're quite rightfully a little bit confused now. Well, even the website of the judiciary, judiciary.uk, states, Our court's system is complicated and in places confusing because it has developed over 1,000 years rather than being designed from scratch. Well, judiciary, you certainly can say that again. And on that note, I think we'll come to an end before your brains are all fried. So that's the end of today's episode. Don't forget to check out the course, which is in progress at studylegalenglish.com forward slash podcast underscore courses. And as podcast pro members, if you follow the course through from start to finish, take the quizzes and do the extra activities, you can earn a certificate, which will be a great addition to your CV or LinkedIn profile to show how great you are at legal English. If you're not a member yet, you can visit studylegalenglish.com to sign up for a free trial. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with all your lawyer friends. And of course, you can send me an email to let me know your thoughts about it. You can send an email to info at studylegalenglish.com. So thanks for listening and see you next time.